over the last couple of months, I have been doing the Eightfold Path, which was a delight to go through. And that wrapped up last week. And so I, for this last week, I've been thinking about what I wanted to start talking about. Because the thing when you do one of those series, you don't have to think about what you're going to talk about. It's just like, oh, next one, next one. And so now I have to think again. But what was coming up for me is, as I mentioned before uh, we sat, is all this stuff that's going on in the world and so many emotions that I see. When I sat, I was sitting the other day and I was just recognizing the anger and the grief and the sadness and it's all just hanging out in my chest and um, I don't have to, you know, name all these things. Uh, well, I, you know, climate change and all the the, the destruction that's being wrought with that and the, the situation in Afghanistan and in Texas and the voter suppression and all these things, nothing new under the sun. Um, well, not really. We're just bombarded with it. The scale of it is, is perhaps greater. The magnitude is greater. Um, and we see it so much more quickly and um, we're able to be inside of it for 24 hours a day, seven days a week if we choose. But I was reading a book um, recently called Emergent Strategy where they were this woman was, who wrote the book was mentioning she had sat with Angel Kyoto Williams, who you know is a very wise teacher. And she said, we have this technological onslaught, but we don't have the capacity to hold that. So it's not really wise to do that to ourselves. But that that aside, um, what it got me to thinking about was how the world is reacting to all of these things. And you see these different scenarios and reactivities being played out and posturing and, and pointing of fingers and um, creating of stories. And that got me to thinking about um, the idea of the colonial mind. And in the Women in Whiteness group that I run with my, my friend and colleague, Mary Ann, every month, we've been doing this for over a year, <clears throat> we talked about decolonizing the mind. And so I thought that would be a really a good topic for right now. And it's actually, it is um, uh, relevant to our, our Buddhist practice. And one of the sources I have is Larry Ward, who some of you may know is a... He's a Zen Buddhist teacher. He was empowered to teach by Thich Nhat Hanh. He's a very, uh, he's really wonderful. And he wrote a book that came out late last year called America's Racial Karma, which is a very good book. Anyway, he talked about this, and I was very inspired by his talk. I read it last year. So what I want to do is just kind of go through that and define what it is and how we can work with it. And the reason it's important is because we are... As we all know, we are impacted by our own experiences. We have um, habits of mind that have been kind of put in place based on our families, where we grew up, things we were told, messages we received about you're this, you're that, you're not this, you're not that, how we kind of move through the world. You know, if, if, you, if you behave this way, you're not a good person. If you look less way, you're not a good person. You have, you know, all those 
um, messages that we get individually, but then there's the societal messages that are there that are kind of baked into the world we live in. And it's so important, just as it's important in our practice when we sit to begin to recognize those habits of mind that are, that are um, uh, uh, personal and, and intimate to ourselves, it's important to have that bigger picture too because there's so much suffering that is caused, so much harm that is caused by these um, inherent biases that we don't even see. So that's what I wanted to touch on uh, so we can begin to see what that looks like so we can recognize and take a step back and recognize when they're being in place. And um, so anyway, there, just give a little bit of history about the colonial mind and what it means. And it's it's been around for a long time. And I think the idea of it, the, the seed, the genesis of it goes back a thousand years to one of those popes, those popes who said, go do whatever the hell you want with anybody who doesn't believe like you do or or um, look like you do. And, and I think it was Pope um, Pope Urban II back in 1095 gave the U- European monarchs the right to discover and claim lands, uh, any lands that weren't Christian. So if they weren't Christian, obviously they were savages and not worthy of respect and um, you could take their lands. Not to mention that they had stuff you wanted. So this was a convenient excuse. And then in, in the, the 15th century, another pope gave the Portuguese, the, he authorized them to enslave Africans because they were a different color. And that's kind of the genesis of this, the racial separation that we have. So all of these are, these are steps in separation. And so this is this mindset that starts moving in this way. Ibram X. Kendi wrote a book called Stamped from the Beginning, which is really excellent, and he really goes through this in, in quite a lot of detail. Um, so that brought that, uh, uh, that, that if you're different, I can take what you have because I'm obviously better than you are because it's written on this piece of paper. And you can't read it, so obviously you're better, I'm better than you. So that, that is kind of also the genesis of our country, the United States. And in the uh, early 1800s, it became the foundation of the Monroe Doctrine, or in Manifest Destiny. This country's ours from sea to shining sea. And if anybody gets in the way, that they're out of luck. So we have to understand that this is in the zeitgeist. This is the framework for how our, our country is situated, what um, um, the framework and Larry Ward in his talk goes into this and he talks about this framework and he talks about the colonized mind and he says what does it mean it's the colonized mind is frozen in time it's a mind of domination and control which is what that that the colonizers the doctrine of I can take what I want because you have what I want that's craving right there that's greed right there um so it's a and it's a it's a mind of domination and control. It's male centered and white bodied. That's what who all those folks were, um, and they were defining the differences based on um, what you looked like and what you believed. It's all about wealth building. Our legal system in this country is about is based on wealth building. 
I mean, you look at, look at it today. I mean, Citizens United, corporations are people. They have rights. It's like, no, they're not. But that's, that's the law of the land. And, and, and it's all, everything is to support that. Um, it's a warrior, militaristic mentality. That is the answer to everything. It's the answer to everything. We have a war on poverty. We have a war on drugs. We have a war on crime. After the, the, uh, there was that suicide bombing in Afghanistan and Kabul at the airport last week. And Biden's response was, we will hunt them down. I don't remember the exact quote, but we will hunt them down and we will find them and we will kill them. And somebody remarked, isn't that how we got into this in the first place? But that's the autopilot response. And when I hear the, the, the president, every president, not just Biden or Trump or Bush or Obama, but all of them say my number one priority is to defend the country. And I'm like, I never thought that was a number. That doesn't make sense to me, but it's that militaristic outlook. Might makes right. I take what I want. Um, it legitimizes hatred and aversion and greed. We create these separate categories. I, it's okay for me to hate you because obviously you're different and inferior. So there's hatred, aversion, and greed because I want what you have. You see it in history. And the colonized mind is small and can't accept anything outside of its parameters. It's fixed view. Fixed view. This is Buddhism in 101. It's this fixed view. In fact, there's another person I'm going to mention, um, Dr. Michael Yellowbird, who's a sociologist, and he gave a talk that was also really excellent. And he talked about the, the colonial brain disorder. It's another CBD. It's different from the CBD we're familiar with. Colonial brain disorder. And he says that is, what does he say that is? That's when Americans or um, the mind can't understand or can't, can't accept a critique of, its, of itself. That's what it is cannot critique their own culture. See, colonial brain disorder is you cannot critique your own culture. Do we see that? My country right or wrong? That was the big thing in the 60s. Anybody who opposed the American or the Vietnam War was like... So that is this mindset that is kind of the, the water we swim in. And Larry Ward also talked about... Um, he brought in neuroscience, which I adore, um, because it makes so much sense. And he talked about the neurological, that these are mental formations, which is what the Buddha talked about. These ideas of you're different, I can take what I want, might is the answer to everything. The military, a military response is, is the appropriate response. He said these are mental formations, and these mental formations have neurological correspondence. And that this is true. And the idea of white privilege is neurological patterns in people's hearts and brains. And the entire nervous system is wired with those presuppositions. And as, whatever it is, this colonial mindset is a neurological pattern and a presuppositions. Neurons are saturated with colonial superiority, what it means to be a pro and what it means to be a proper human being. We make all the rules. We determine your turn, your kind of government is not okay, and so we're going to change it, whatever, whatever it is. And you're, 
So that is um, that is the how these things become form formed and then fixed in place and invisible. They're invisible because we don't see them because they're they're how we do business and we don't question it just as if you came to practice and began to see how your own personal stories you began to recognize as like oh that is not necessarily who I am that's just this underpinning of craving this underpinning of aversion this habit this this habit of mind that I that I um developed in response to things in my life that I needed to deal with, this way of behaving. And we, through this, we're able to begin to disentangle. We're able to chip away at that thinking of that, that thought process and begin to see things a different way. So that's what we're invited to do when we begin to, um, when we begin to uh, question, is this really true? And instead say, wait a minute, what's really going on? This, is, this, is this something that's stuck in greed or hatred or diversion? Larry Ward talks about um, another thing about the colonial mind. He says it's a mind kidnapped by addiction to worshiping, self-cherishing, self-conceit. That's the Buddha talks about I, you know, the creation of self, the creation of I. Thereby living an embodied perception of separateness. When we are, we're stuck in I, we're, we're separating ourselves from others. Um, this has brought 500 years of planetary history with the driving energies of acquisition, extraction, ownership, facilitated by deceit, genocide, and enslavement, and incarceration, and murder to achieve its ends of dominion over the earth and all the earth possesses economically, politically, and culturally. The thing I like about Larry Ward is he doesn't mince words. His book, his book America's Racial Karma... It's, it's up there. It's really small, but he says what he needs to say, and it's really lovely. And he writes poetry and throws that in there, too. Um, he's great. So what he talks about is the importance of rec we have to recognize these things, and we have to break them down. We have to recognize these patterns that we have taken on. We have taken on these patterns because they're part of our, our culture, and we have to recognize them. And the reason this is so crucial in terms of social change is if we do not heal the colonial mind underneath our structures, underneath our politics, under, and our predatory economics, and our rape of culture, whatever structures we will create will still carry that mind. You've seen this in your own life. You've witnessed this personally and collectively. This is what I mean by getting to the root. This is what Buddhism means by transformation at the base. We have to chip away, chip away, chip away, chip away, and get to the root of this stuff and be willing to let go. Be willing to see how we participate in this. Not, it's not our fault. None of this is our fault. Our conditioning is not our fault, but we are responsible for seeing it. We are responsible for doing something about it. It's really important. Dharma practice teaches us how to disentangle ourselves from habitual thoughts and habits of mind. It can also support us as we disengage from the larger systemic patterns baked into our culture. 
You know, we identify that greed, that hatred, that ignorance, and move towards a world that works for everyone. And this is where mindfulness comes in. This is absolutely where mindfulness comes in. And um, what is it? Rhonda McGee, some of you may know Rhonda McGee. She's in, a, she's in San Francisco, I think. But she was an attorney for many years. I mean, she might still be in an attorney practice. Uh, no, but she's a meditation teacher, and she wrote a book called The Inner Work of Racial Justice, which is really excellent, really excellent. I sat a three-day retreat with her, her and Biko Analio last spring, and it was, like, amazing. Oh, as he said, he assisted her. She's really excellent. Um, but she talks about this mindfulness, and a decade of mindfulness indicates that mindfulness and compassion practices assist in raising awareness. And it suggests that mindfulness and compassion practices may be important in creating the general conditions that support minimizing bias, this implicit bias that we have inside ourselves that we don't see. We all have our personal implicit biases and then the cultural implicit biases. We begin to loosen the attachment to narratives and other forms of suffering that give rise to biases along the way. So that's what's really important about, important about this practice. And now I want to get into this other piece, this talk, and I'll, I'll put the links to these two talks in the chat because they're really good. The one by Larry Ward and the one by this, this gentleman, um, Dr. Michael Yellowbird. He is, as I mentioned, a professor of sociology, and he's also an indigenous, um, I think he's uh, up in the northwest of the United States. And he talks about, he talks also about the colonial mind, and he talks about what mindfulness and the temporal parietal junction. I, I have to read this because I can't, I love neuroscience and what it does with the brain and how it impacts us, um, but I can't remember it. So the temporal, temporal parietal junction is activated during meditation. And this is the ability to perceive emotional and mental states of others. And it's more active in meditators. And what that does is it cultivates this compassion for others and the sense of separation dissolves. And he says colonizers cannot empathize. They cannot understand what happens? He talked about the, the boarding schools when all the native youth in the United States and Canada were, were taken from their families. Because, you know, the, I don't know if you realize, but the official policy of the United States for many years was the only dead Indian is a good Indian. A de the only good Indian is a dead Indian. That's actually what the policy was. And then they realized they couldn't kill all the um, Native Americans. So they said they changed the policy to kill the Indian, save the man. And that's when they started taking the kids and putting them into boarding schools and brainwashing them and, and, and beating, the, beating their uh, culture out of them. Um, so that, 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 when that part of the brain is, is shut off or disconnected, there's no empathy, there's no compassion. That's how Derek Chauvin can lean on F George Floyd's neck for almost nine minutes with this blank face. There's that... Um, that, that disconnect, that sense of separation. It's like, no big deal, no big deal. But when you have this part of the brain um, activated or when the parietal lobe goes quiet, this sense of separation disappears and we have a capacity to empathize and connect. It's so incredibly important. It's so incredibly important. In this talk he gives, he talks about 
uh, a practice his, um, his tribe has where they go out once a year and they sing to a tree. They chant to a tree. And it's a meditative, it's a meditative kind of experience when you're chanting. And they do it for, I mean, forget how long they do it every day. They do it, but they do it every day for like 30 days. And he says, and they bring it every day. I mean, they don't just go out there and go, go through the motions. It's a fully intentional, with it embodied uh, experience. He goes, because they really feel that the tree can hear them. And there is a connection with this tree. So this, even this cultivation of this, uh, this part of the mind, the, the, the meditative practice, enables us to even have this empathy for the planet. It's when these things are cut off, we can do these things. So people say, I don't understand how people can do that stuff. It's because these parts, all of our different experiences in the world activate or shut off different parts of our mind. Neuroscience shows that meditation can bring calm, happiness, joy, and overcome internal stories, and it gets stronger with more practice. It's incredibly important. Um, There's another book I love by a a monk called Claude Anshin Thomas. It's called At Hell's Gate. I'll never find it. Um, But he was a Vietnam vet. And he was trained to hate the Vietnamese. And he suffered mightily. He was addicted to drugs and alcohol. And then he finally, um, he happened to run into Thich Nhat Hanh, who, who saved, basically saved his life. But he thought it was ironic that, you know, the thing he was taught to hate is what ended up saving him. So he has an amazing story, too. I recommend his book. It is at Hell's Gate. Um, lovely person. Uh, um, so... We have to, it's, as you, neuroscience shows, it's imperative to cultivate these parts of the brain, not just for our benefit. You know, this is the bodhisattva ideal. And this is, it's not even just the bodhisattva ideal, because the bodhisattva ideal that comes along later in Mahayana tradition, it's in Theravada too, that we are, um, we practice for the benefit of all. We're not separate from anybody. We see when we really get into this practice how connected we are with everyone, everything. You know, we are connected with this. Um, and we have to see where we are caught up in this predatory behavior. It's incredibly important. And I've tried to take all those, it's really interesting when you do this practice, and it's kind of a practice of wise speech but it's also a practice of recognizing how the the terminology of our culture is very um, biased towards military and to take those words out of your vocabulary it's really like it sneaks up it's like wow you know it's like oh you killed it you know like you did well you killed it and it's like "Mm, I don't want to say that can I take that out? And it, it can seem like nothing, but what you're doing is you're bringing intention, you're bringing mindfulness, you're bringing, you're bringing this intentionality, this willingness to see and shift, and that's how you create new neural pathways. You know, that's, that's wise intention. Moving towards a way of, of let, letting go, renunciation of that which is harmful, and moving into a... Um, a relationship of non-harming and goodwill with all. That's, that's how you move into this. Um, 
So it's about um, breaking down these paradigms. It's about being willing to see where we're stuck in it. I'm guessing none of us in this little Zoom room tonight is out actually out there um, actively colonizing. But we have to see where we get caught up in it and work, do what we can with what we have, where we are, to kind of chip away at these things. Um, and I was doing some stuff for this board I'm on, excuse me, this board of directors I'm on, and I was reading about a couple of activists. Uh, there was an activist ra rabbi and an activist um, Methodist minister in Los Angeles. They were very active starting, they became friends back in the 60s, and they both just died in the last couple of years, but they founded a couple of art, wonderful organizations. Some of you may remember there was a there was a, a minister in Los Angeles who, during the Iraq War, said something about, um, I don't know, I think he talked against going into Iraq, and the IRS immediately started investigating him. That was this guy. Anyway, his, his, his colleague and friend, Rabbi Leonard Bierman, talked about um, recognizing how we are so closely related to others. Um, and he said... My parents' generation taught the concept of menslichkeit, or readiness to live for ideals beyond the clamor of self. And I love that, to live for ideals beyond the clamor of self. It's not just about us. It's about all beings, not causing harm, all beings. You know, that one sutta, the Rajan Sutta, where the Buddha said that, you know, you should be, just as you are dear to yourself, all beings are dear to themselves, and so you should not cause harm. It's not the exact quote, but that's the intention. So practice, practice, practice. Bringing this awareness to what you do is so important, it, and, and um, because it's not about sitting on the cushion and, and liberating ourselves. It's, we're, we're, not, we're not on an island. We are in the world. Even if we just live in a rural area with a couple of people. I mean, we have critters around us. We have, we have trees. We have grass. We have whatever it is. How do we show up as, as wise people and decolonize our mind, decolonize, you know, to help decolonize the world, to make it a really... A, a, a place that's um, gentle and kind for all. So, thank you for um, thank you for listening. This was um, really a delight for me. I really appreciate this uh, looking at this, and oh, thank you for allowing me to share this. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.